We have, are reaching the end of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Um, I want to thank the men who have helped uh, teach um, while, we've, while we've been away. So Ben had the last, Ben Selinsky had the last uh, round, and um, I appreciate these men helping in that way. We are blessed in our church with a number of, of people that handle the Word well, and we are truly grateful for that. Well, as we reach the end of Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul continues to expand on what walking about in a manner worthy of your calling looks like. That's the way he started the chapter, to live your daily life, walk about in a, in a manner worthy of your calling, of equal weight. And when he talks about it, he talks about it in terms of the practical everyday behavior and nearly all of what he describes in chapter 4, if you review what he has said there, what you find is, is that much of it has to do with our relationships to one another. I think it's really important for us to understand that when we get right with God, when we are brought back into fellowship with God, reconciled through Jesus Christ, that one of the things that happens is it changes the way we relate to other people. We understand the first great commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second's like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And when you truly love God, then you begin to truly love your neighbor, and that starts to change the way that interaction is. And, you know, what we're going to cover tonight is just incredibly practical. And in some ways, uh, as I'm working on it, um, and preparing, I'm going like, well, duh, you ought to, you ought to behave th- this right way. But, but we all know over, over the course of time, it's amazing how often those that name the name of Christ actually violate these things. They don't violate it so much uh, in the public arena. Like they wouldn't do it uh, at church, on, even on Sunday night as well. And, 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 and they might not even do it. I mean, you know how it is where there's a knockdown drag out going uh, on at home. You know, people are really upset. And the, this is back in the days where we had phones with cords that were connected to the wire, to, to the wall. Um, but the phone rings. And so they're, they're screaming at each other. The phone rings and they go, hello, this is the so-and-so residence, which tells you that this anger can be controlled. Okay? And, and often the way we're just living our daily life and responding to one another is, is not in keeping with the teaching of the Word. The, the teaching of the Word of God, we're taught in chapter 4, brings health to all the members of the body of Christ so that we mature and so that we grow up into mature manhood, into Christ-likeness, both in our understanding of doctrinal truth and in our practice of beneficial love toward one another. This is how a body works well together, and the, the comparison of the body is so very helpful. You know, my fingers have a very different function than my eyeballs, but I don't want them at war. What happens if my fingers and my eyeballs are at war? You know, I, I lose my eyes and yeah, it just doesn't work, doesn't work well. The body's got to work together even when we have different giftings and different abilities. So this entirely new way of living is because we are new creations in Christ. And he talks about our being, having a new self that thinks and acts like Jesus, who's head of the church. Um, Paul is going to call this, when we cross over into chapter 5, he's going to call this imitating God. 
as we walk in self-sacrificing love, just like the love that Jesus showed when he died on the cross to rescue us. So in Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, um, I mean, these verses are so practical. They're the kind of verses that you would do well to put up in your bathroom mirror or, or something that you would see every day and just remind yourself of behavior that looks like Jesus. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, as you summarize those verses, the new birth is transforming how we talk. It's transforming who, to whom we feel accountable in terms of for whom we're living our lives, God Himself. It, it transforms how we feel toward others, because love is action that actually grows from our heart toward people. Um, it removes, um, it, 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 it um, changes how we treat those that, even those that have sinned against us. So, here, here are the things that we learn from each verse. Never use your words to tear down, only to build up. That's verse 29. Verse 30, avoid anything that grieves the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. In verse 31, remove all hostility from your heart. And number four, show the compassionate kindness of your forgiving God. So let's talk about our words. Never use your words to tear down, only to build up. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear now, why, why am I using the terminology to tear down? It's because of this word right here, corrupting, okay? This word, if we think about something that's corrupt, we're talking about something that's rotten. Rotten like the dead squirrel that's been on the side of your street for a week. That kind of rotten. Uh, rotten like the zucchini from last year's harvest that you found in the vegetable bin. Okay? Rotten like the meat in your freezer when the freezer dies and you don't find it until three days later, or four or five or later. Um, rotten. Okay? Now, we would never, you know, if we're, you know, scrounging around the refrigerator for something to eat and we see um, cheese with a bunch of green mold all over it. Or, or we find cucumbers that are squishy uh, cucumbers, or we open the package of chicken and it smells like it died several weeks ago, um, or all, you know, all these, these kinds of things, we don't say, hmm, what, it's chicken, you know? Um, this, is, this is why we've got immunities, let's, let's chow down. No, or, or I remember one time uh, cleaning out a refrigerator where the milk had gone bad, and it had gone bad quite some time ago because the milk jug, the gallon milk jug, looked like a basketball. 
And so I opened that, aiming it into a toilet bowl. And when we opened it, it just, it virtually exploded out, okay? You don't drink that stuff, okay? We wouldn't put rotten stuff into our mouths. And yet Jesus taught that we're less defiled by rotten stuff, unwashed stuff that goes into our mouths than we are by the rotten stuff that goes out of our mouths because the rotten stuff comes from inside, from who we are. You realize that when we use uh, rotten, corrupt, putrid, foul words, when we use things that tear things down, and that's all that's going on there, right? That squirrel is disintegrating. Little critters that you'd have to see with a microscope uh, are eating away, um, breaking that down. Um, you wouldn't eat stuff that's rotten, and, and when you say stuff that's rotten, if it's coming out, that means it came from what was inside. Do you realize if rottenness is coming out of your mouth, rottenness is in your soul. Rottenness is in your heart. And what needs to happen is not just to clean out your mouth and, you know, remember washing out your mouth with soap when you said things you shouldn't say, but you need to clean up your heart. What's going on in the heart that you would say stuff like that? You know, over the years, uh, as you try to um, kind of do a, a post-mortem, say, on marriages that have broken up or families that have torn apart, and you, you find out that oftentimes for years, certain members of the family have felt at liberty to use corrupt talk, tear down angry kind of talk, ripping on people um, for years, and they've done untold kind of damage. And, and the problem is that it's not just the damage that it does to the hearer. It, it shows that there's a disease damaging that person's life. Christ has made us whole, and, and we need to be producing what is good. Only what is good for building up. Now, you notice, you notice that he uses these words where, like, there are no exceptions here. Only what is good for building up. Now, that doesn't mean that you never confront a person about something that, that's wrong, but it does mean that you confront that person in a way that it's actually helpful to them, not, not destroying, not destructive of them, tearing them down. Only what's good for building up. It's, it's only something that fits the occasion. Not everything that's true needs to be said. Okay? There's a time and a place uh, to say certain things. Uh, there's often a relationship that needs to be built before you have the right to, to get into a person's life that way. Um, what fits the occasion and what gives grace to those who hear. And we're familiar with the word grace. It's unmerited favor. But I think sometimes we, we limit the word too much. It's actually a broad word that takes in anything that's, that's good, that confers favor, that gives pleasure, that's profitable. What, what would happen what would happen in your relationships, and particularly the relationships where you had the most opportunity to communicate? Husband, wife, parent, children, child, parent, brother, sister, 
uh, those that you're around the most, you have the most conversation with, what would happen if the only thing that ever passed through your teeth to the ears of another person was what was good for building up, what fit the occasion, and what would give grace, favor, pleasure, profit to the ones that hear. Because according to this verse, that's the only kind of talk that's supposed to go out of your mouth. And obviously there are times that we violate this, but that's when we've sinned against a person. We need to make it right. And so that, that we correct that kind of talk, that it's the new person. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Years ago, I had a friend who was a, a pediatric psychiatrist. He went into psychiatry because it was a developing field. He was a believer, and he, he dealt particularly with adolescents. Um, and, and in helping people work through some sometimes really severe mental illness. And an observation that he made about abuse was what the, in terms of damage, that there are certain kinds of abuse that, that get a lot of press. Uh, but he said the kind of abuse that is most damaging to, to persons, that is most likely to produce even mental illness, is... The, the constant verbal abuse of tearing down and demeaning another person. There, there are certain kinds of abuse that will, will have you end up in jail. But he said that, that surprisingly, even that kind of thing, particularly if it was short-term, did less damage than, than this constant berating of other people. And what happens, you know, I think part of it is that because it's not criminal, we sometimes think it's okay. Well, it's just the way I am. I have to get stuff off, your chest, off my chest. Well, it needs to get out of your heart, not through the ear gate of somebody else, but before God, so that your words become words of healing, words of building up, words of conferring benefit, on those that hear. Never use your words to tear down only to build up. Second, avoid anything that grieves the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So this is taking it to that level. We're not just talking about a list of do's and don'ts, like, hey, I got to up my game. Let me check the boxes. I got to discipline myself better. We're talking about this is something related to you're actually belonging to Jesus, you are owner-occupied by God himself. Do not grieve. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God sorrowful, whereby you're sealed for the day of redemption. Well, that naturally raises the question, well, what grieves the Holy Spirit? What makes, what makes the Spirit of God sad? No, and you, and you can be a kid. If you're born again, you've got the Holy Spirit of God. What makes the Spirit of God in you in sad? What grieves Him? What kinds of behavior? Well, obviously, unholiness would make the Holy Spirit of God sad, would grieve Him. And, you know, what is it that makes us holy? What makes us holy is not that this, we've got a disciplined lifestyle. What makes us holy is that we belong 
to God. That we're set apart to Him. We belong to Him. And that's going to now change our lives. We tend to look at the results of the holiness. The holiness is that we belong to God, okay? Unholiness, then, would be anything that's out of step with our belonging to God. What are the words that I say? What are the things that I do? What are the thoughts that I have that would be contrary to the character of the God to whom I belong? And, and I, it's a very personal belonging because the Holy Spirit of God indwells those that actually belong to God. That's why it says uh, the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. In other words, like a stamp that says, this belongs to God, this person belongs to God. That happened at the beginning of your Christian life. Sealed for the day of redemption. That looks at the future, the promised destiny of our Christian life, when we're finally fully ransomed from sin and from death. Redemption is ransom through payment of a price. Now think about the heavy price that was paid to ransom you and to, to make you gods. Remember, this is the way Paul appeals to us elsewhere where he says, you know, don't, don't get involved in immorality. Uh, your body is not your own. It belongs to the Lord. You were bought with a price, and the price was the blood of Jesus. So, we are sealed by the Spirit of God. What would grieve the Spirit of God is unholiness, whatever would be out of character with our actually belonging to God. This would be good for us to take inventory. You know, as we go through, as we go through every day, as we start to, to pray about the day, God, help me, help me talk, uh, live, think in a way that's consistent with the fact that I belong to you. That kind of makes all of life a life on mission. Another thing that would grieve the Spirit of God from this very chapter is disunity. The kinds of things that would drive wedges between people. Remember back in verse 3, we were called to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. This is part of walking worthy of our calling. God has called us to life, and, and we have a unity of the Spirit, the Spirit of God that indwells you and indwells me, and we're supposed to be eager, make it a high priority to protect that unity. The unity is God-made, disunity would be created by human beings that are actually doing the devil's work. You know, the slander, the bitterness, lack of forgiveness, things that drive people apart. So, when, when we see disunity, um, what we see is the work uh, that is contrary to the work of the Spirit. Disunity would grieve the Spirit of God. Then, obviously, lying would grieve the Spirit of God because He's often called the Spirit of truth. Okay? We, we are those that are supposed to be living out the gospel. We're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel. How do we proclaim the truth? Remember, John, the apostle, often talks about the gospel in terms of the truth. Well, how do you live the truth if parts of your life are a lie? Whether it's your words or your ways, if, if, you're, if you're not living transparently, if, if you're, you can't be trusted in what you say, you would grieve the Spirit of God who is the Spirit of truth. And then because of the context that's here and what's explained here, we could argue that it also grieves the Spirit of God when we engage in harmful speech, attitudes, and actions. You know, think about what does the Spirit produce in our life? 
The Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, long-suffering, self-control, uh, kindness. These kinds of things are, are all geared not only toward our own health, but toward the health of those that are around us. That The Spirit of God produces a winsomeness in people. The Spirit of God emboldens them to, to live in love toward others and to bring benefit to others, to bring goodness to their lives, um, good fruit in their lives that, that not only shows who we are, but benefits the people that are around us. This is classic Christian living. Remember when the sons of thunder, James and John, were angry at Samaritans who wouldn't let Jesus pass through because of prejudice there, and they wanted to call down fire from heaven. And Jesus rebuked them and said, you don't know what spirit you're of. This, this is not the spirit of God that is driving you. Or you remember when, when Peter rebuked the Lord for talking about going to the cross, and he said what? Get behind me, Satan. It's possible for us, even as believers, to have attitudes and speak words and ideas that are actually contrary to God. In fact, we learned in the, the letter to the Ephesians that the prince of the power of the air is the spirit that now energizes the children of disobedience. Well, we have the spirit of God who energizes the children of obedience, and we want to be those that remember that we belong to him. So, you know, a lot of times in our interactions with other people, when, 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 when the relationships get messed up and, and out of whack, it's because one or both of us have forgotten to whom we belong. We have forgotten that we are living life as owner-occupied people that belong to God himself and the spirit of God is in us. Number three, we want to remove all hostility from our heart. Let all bitterness, verse 31, and wrath and anger. I've forgotten about my board over here. I haven't been using my board. Sorry, I'm out of practice. Well, you got the corrupt part. And we already did that half, and I haven't even gone to the other. Okay, all right. So I, I should have circled this. That means to be sorry. Redemption. We'll do that in red as well because that's payment of a price, the, the ransom. Um, sealed, that means we belong to God. We're marked as his. All right. Grace, building up. That's the occasion. Okay, so we just caught up. All right. All right. Now we get to this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So we have just a catalog of bad things here. Um, bitterness, we kind of know what that is, just we still use this terminology. Um, you know, somebody that's sour and harsh uh, resentful. Um, you know, he's talked about how we speak, and remember, how we speak reflects what we are inside. So now he's moving to the inside. What's going on in the inside? So I, 
And, and you notice the all again. So we're, go- we're going to, he's commanding us. When it says let all business, it doesn't mean like let go and let God. It means make sure you get rid of this. It's, it's a command. Let all bitterness, so any resentment that you feel, any sourness, any, um, anything where you feel a, a, a grudge toward another person, you're embittered uh, toward them. You've got to get rid of that. You're commanded to get rid of that. It's, it's got to go. It doesn't matter if the principle of the thing has made you this way. It doesn't matter why it's there. He says, get rid of it, okay? And we're going to find out toward the end how we can actually do that. Bitterness and wrath, this would be, um, this refers to rage, like that passionate rage where somebody just explodes, you know, their face turns beet red and the, the veins, you know, are popping out on their neck. And usually they're saying things very loudly and maybe throwing things or whatever, but that kind of wrath. And then anger, this is actually anger, and I will say that both wrath and anger, um, God displays these things. So there is a way to do this that's not sinful, but here we're talking about uh, sinful. Anger has more to do with with a settled sullenness, um, a, a settled hostility. God is settled in his hostility toward sin. God will pour out wrath in judgment. Okay, we are delivered from wrath. Um, he can bring all of the universe to bear in bringing judgment on us. But, but we're not God, and we, we are to leave vengeance to God. We're supposed to leave, let that be his domain, not our own. We're not the judge. Now, what often goes along with these, these feelings, these high emotions, is also clamor. And that's, that's actually not a word that we typically use, not, not very often, at least not with this meaning. Clamor here is referring to shouting, okay? When people start arguing and, um, and they get louder and louder in the argument, and pretty soon they're just shouting at each other, okay? Let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor be put away from you, okay? You know what that means, is that you should never be yelling at somebody. Except if you're cheering at a ball game or something like that. <laughs> now, I'm not, I don't know that you should yell at the umpire, okay? But, but... You know, joyful shouting, yes. Um, shouting at a person. You know, what is shouting at a person? What does that actually communicate? It, it communicates violence. It, it usually means I, I don't feel right about doing what my fists want to do, but I'm going to use my words to do what my body wants to do. Um, in abuse situations, uh, one of the things they, they talk about is when a person gets angry enough where they're actually throwing things or pounding things, that, that's one step away from when they just pound on a person. Okay? They, they don't 
They feel restrained from actually pounding on the person, so they pound on a thing. Well, the same thing happens with our words. We get angry enough, we don't feel that we have an avenue to actually take care of it, so we yell and scream. Just let it all be put away from you, along with slander. And this is actually, the slander is perhaps more common than any of this. It, the slander is, is more under the radar. Because usually slander, usually slander is happening person to person behind somebody's back. Okay? But this is the, this is the word actually... If you saw it, this is the word blasphemy. And so this word, when it's used with God being the object, is blasphemy. When it's used with human beings being the object, it's usually translated slander. And actually, the two go together because human beings are made in God's image. So when we, when we slander somebody else, when we demean them, when we cast doubt on their character, on their motives, when we say things about them, may even be true, but it's designed to, to tear them down in the eyes of other people. We're, we're actually engaging in the devil's work. In fact, the word diabolos, devil, means slanderer. And we're, we're doing the devil's work when we're tearing down somebody else. So you say, well, if you knew uh, the sins of this person, if you knew the problems that this person has, then you would know why I'm talking about them. Well, what are we supposed to do with the sins of other people? How are we supposed to deal with the sins of other people? You know, if it's something that actually affects me, I'm supposed to go, if I know my brother has something against me, or if I've got something against my brother, I'm supposed to go to that person. And I'm supposed to, to deal with it. It might be that, that it's not actually somebody that I have a personal relationship with, but I've heard about it from someone. And so now I'm going to take up the cause. It shows how righteous I am that I can talk about how unrighteous they are, and I'm going to slander them. Well, that doesn't solve anything. That doesn't actually deal with the problem. It's, it's not the way that God has dealt with our sin. And then finally, malice. Malice is maybe the most deadly of all. It, it's a word that means evil or bad, and in, in this usage, it's the idea that you wish bad, you wish evil on another person. It, it can go to the level of actually plotting evil against them. Now, Proverbs talks about plotting evil against your neighbor and saying, you know, I'll do to him what he did to me, okay, um, and, and warns against that. It can be just wishing ill against others. You, you've been hurt by them. They may not even know they hurt you, or maybe they do, but you wish them ill. That whole spirit is not the spirit of God at work in you. That spirit of violence, of rage, of tearing down, of slander is the spirit of the evil one, and you belong to Jesus. And and you don't want to do the devil's work. Finally, verse 32, we want to show the compassionate kindness of your forgiving God. And this is really key uh, to it all. The, the be kind, this word kind, um, the Greek word is krestos. The Greek word for Christ is Christos. So it's almost like a play on words that those that belong to the Christos, 
should be characterized by krustos. There's a kindness to the way that they behave. And kindness is just, you know, doing good toward others. And then tenderhearted, that's an interesting word because we don't use this expression. This, um, if I were translating literally, it means good bowels. But the reason is that, that the Greeks talked about the affection and things that move you uh, toward another person. They would talk about you're having healthy intestines. Like we say it moves my heart. Uh, they, they would say it moves my intestines. Okay? And, and we actually have an expression like this, right? We, we, uh, when we first notice the, the love of our life, and, and we're going to get the first date, we get butterflies in our stomach. Why would we say butterflies in your stomach? The same reason we say frog in your throat and other things. It's, it's an expression, okay? So, but, but it, it talks about, and if you think about it, when you are deeply moved, uh, it can be with joy, um, it, it, certainly with kind, love, feeling toward another person, compassion toward another person. This, this term is used for, for Jesus, having compassion, being moved with compassion. We actually feel physically what's going on emotionally, okay? When we're tremendously sad, somebody we love has just died, we will feel pain in our chest, okay? We feel it physically. And so, we're talking about having these compassionate feelings that, that we feel viscerally, we feel physically toward other people. And so, well, wait a minute, you know, some of these people have done me wrong. And how can I not respond in these other negative ways? Well, what's underlying this is that we're forgiving one another. And, and why would we do that? Well, because, you know, if it says we're forgiving one another, think about what, think about what the one another communicates. If we're forgiving one another, who has sinned? You can say it out loud. Yeah, we both have sinned. Like, hello, we are sinners, right? We're redeemed, we're changing, but do we ever drop the ball? Do we ever do the wrong thing? Absolutely we do, and we're not happy about that. But, but what if every time you messed up, that meant that those who knew about it never forgave you again? Pastor Conley, he's just a big, fat hypocrite. He talks a good game, but I know that he's a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. Every one of us does wrong. We need to make things right. But, but we can't just hold this against other people. We, we want to be kind to one another, tenderhearted. We have compassion, forgiving one another. And what's the basis of that? Why would we forgive one another? As God in Christ forgave you. So the day that you're not willing to forgive another person would be the day that you yourself don't need forgiveness. And the reality is that every single sin I've ever committed was, was committed against God. 
And whatever wrongs I've done toward other people, whatever wrongs have been done toward me, that pales in significance to all the sins that are piled up against God. Why did God forgive me? God forgave me in Christ. Jesus Christ, perfect God-man, shed his lifeblood to rescue me from the wrath I deserve. Jesus Christ gives us forgiveness through his blood and cleansing through his blood. The blood of Christ that cleanses you from your sin cleanses your brother or sister from his or her sin as well. Is his lifeblood not a sufficient price for you to forgive that brother or that sister. Christ has paid the price. God has forgiven. Why wouldn't you forgive? Now, we know that the Bible talks about process of making things right, but, but sometimes we can't always get everything tied up like we would like to. You do realize if you, you harbor this resentment, this unforgiving spirit, it will, it will mess you up. It, it, it is not good for you, and it's not consistent with what God has done for you. The measure of our forgiveness is not what others deserve, but what Christ has earned and what God has exemplified. This, this frees me. This frees you to be able to forgive those who have done you wrong. You think about it. There's two possibilities. Either the person is a believer or he's not. If the person is a believer, Christ has paid for that sin, and he's been forgiven. If the person is not a believer, do you think that hell will be enough? So there's no reason for you to stand as judge and jury and keep holding that lack of forgiveness toward that person. Let it go. This changes the way that we live. If I never use my words to tear down, only to build up, if I avoid anything that grieves the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, if I remove all hostility from my heart and I show compassionate kindness of my forgiving God toward the people, those that have done me wrong especially, but toward all people. What a transformation in the relationships in my life. This is the kind of life of relationships God wants for you. This is what Christ has died to make possible for you. This is why the Spirit of God indwells you to empower you to actually have this kind of life. This is yours in Christ Jesus. God-empowered relationships. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace to us and your forgiveness. And Father, we, 
we are often sinning when we don't even realize it, and we do hurts, sometimes on purpose and oftentimes not. But God, help us to have a heart toward others that is your heart toward others. Help us display the, the work of the Spirit in our lives. Help, help our demeanor toward other people to be one of grace and kindness and compassion and love. Lord, help those who know us and who are around us. Let, let them, as it were, bask in the goodness that is flowing from you through us to them. And Lord, we pray that it will just have a, a powerful effect on our families, on our church, and our neighborhoods as we live this way toward other people. For it's in Christ's name we pray.